Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the How to Hunt Deer podcast, Deer Camp Edition. These bonus episodes will launch each Friday in October and November and feature myself and other Sportsman's Empire podcast hosts from around the country. Follow along as we update each other on recent sightings and deer activity, share strategies we're employing to get us on deer, and just enjoy a relaxed deer camp atmosphere. As we get started, I want to thank all the partners that help us make this show possible. First up, Tacticam, makers of the best point-of-view cameras for outdoorsmen. Tacticam 6.0 and Solo Extreme cameras help you capture your memories from the field so that you can relive them like you're back in the moment and so you can share them with family and friends. Their new 6.0 camera features 4K, 60 frame per second footage, up to 8X zoom, a touchscreen display, and one-touch operation. And the best part of it is you get all of this in a compact, durable, waterproof package. They also just released their Solo Extreme camera that provides all the features you love from other Tacticam cameras, but in a more budget-friendly option. You can learn more about the 6.0, the Solo Extreme, and Tacticam's full line of products at Tacticam.com or RevealCellCam.com. Share your hunt with Tacticam. This episode is also brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth is making comfortable, durable camo without the sticker shock. This year, I'll be wearing the Tarnan pattern, hunting the Piney Hills of the Southeast, and the farmland mosaic of the Midwest, and I have confidence that this pattern is going to perform flawlessly no matter the environment where I find myself. You should also take a look at some of their packs. They're, in my opinion, some of the best out there for the mobile hunter and uh, I think are unbeatable at their price point. You can go check them out, see their full line of products at huntworthgear.com. And finally, Deer Lab is the number one app for hunters and land managers. Deer Lab helps you store, organize, and analyze your trail camera intel so that you can make data-driven decisions as you target your buck this fall. Go check out their website, DeerLab.com, to learn more about all their awesome features and to sign up for a 30-day free trial. When you're ready to purchase, use the code HUNTDEER, all caps, to get 20% off of any of their plans. Now let's get into this week's show. Welcome to Deer Camp. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the How to Hunt Deer podcast Deer Camp Edition, and uh, today I've got Mr. Andrew Munts again from the O2 Podcast, and uh, first-timer here, Nick Otto from the Hunt of War Podcast. What's up, guys? Hey, Josh. Hey, Josh. Thanks for having us on. Thanks for putting us together. I, I love this Deer Camp idea. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, man. We, we talked last week how we're all kind of uh, one big, happy, dysfunctional family here at the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network, and, you know, we, we talk a little bit. But there aren't enough opportunities for us to get together. And I know that that's limited by time and all sorts of other stuff. I mean, we've all got a, a ton of things going on. Most of us are doing this in addition to our day jobs and family life and trying to occasionally get out in the woods ourselves so we're not just talking about other people's experiences, right? And so, um, yeah, so I was hoping something like this kind of late at night on a Thursday uh, might work throughout the year. So we'll we'll see how it goes. But uh, tonight we had a couple of other guys that wanted to join. The Missouri guys weren't able to. They are uh, they are recording another podcast right now. And um, Mitch Shirk from the Pennsylvania Woodsman podcast was going to be on, and then he texted me and said, "Hey man, sorry I'm not going to make it. I'm out tracking a buck right now." Which I, I that's a reasonable excuse. I'll, uh, I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Yeah, I'll, I'll let him slide on that one. And uh, I wonder Nick, what that, I wonder what that's like. <laughs> you wonder what? Tra- <laughs> Ho- hopefully, you'll get to find out before the uh, before the end of the year, man. Yeah, we'll we'll see though. I don't know if you can get your shooting in order, right? Is in that what we talked about last time? I mean, if uh, it, it continues, it continues. Oh so. man! But okay, we're getting better. We're learning as we go. Good, good. Well, Nick, I want I want to kick it over to you first. Uh, last time. We all kind of had a chance to introduce ourselves, introduce our shows, and kind of say what makes our show kind of unique in the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network. And uh, man, yours is really unique. In fact, as we're sitting here talking to you right now, I'm I'm literally watching you clean someone else's deer. Um, 
you are you are standing in front of the 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 cutting table uh, with a big hunk of deer meat in your hand. Like this is this is what I figure you do like all day every day. Like this is just how I envision you. You know, like can we, can we designate him as camp cook. Absolutely, I'm in. I'm in. I don't think there's a way around at that. that point. At, at the at the end point, like yeah, I'm doing work. I'm putting together meals, but guys, like. My secret is, is I, I love this shit, man. I love cutting deer. I love hearing stories. And I get to stay warm. If I'm the last one that has to go out to my stand, but yet has to be the first one back, I win every single time. Yeah. So that's what uh, it's all about. If I'm going to be Kim Cook, I'm good. That's I'm right, good man. That. Everybody loves you, and everybody expects very little, like, hunting production from you. So nobody's like giving you crap because you didn't kill a deer yet. They're just like, ha, dude, he's cooking for us. Like, leave him alone. He's, he's busy. He's a busy guy. He's a busy guy. So Absolutely. So yeah, that's, that's my big passion. And I think that's my real niche on uh sportsman's empire is that we take all this effort into pursuing game. I mean, we're across the board. We're, we're, we have people chasing hogs. We got people chasing whitetails, muleys, uh, elk, and we're, we're going at all this stuff. And I think one of those things too, is like when we're taking advantage of harvesting our own meat, harvesting our own protein, like there's gotta be a point where we bring this full circle. And that's what gets me really excited is that not only am I bringing this from the field, but I'm taking it in my own hands, I'm processing it, I'm cutting it. And this is something that every hunter faces. I made the shot. I've been practicing all summer. And now I walk up on this deer and it's down. What do I do first? And that is one of those overlooked things that that's what my show brings in is that we're going to talk about after the shot. Um, yeah, we've talked about field dressing. We've talked about doing the gutless method on different ways to approach that. But then even just what do I do with a cut of meat that I don't get, normally get a chance to, to use very often? If I do take on the challenge of heart of uh, breaking down my own deer, what do I do with an inside round? How does that differ from an outside round or a, or a bottom round? I want to be able to basically give a little bit of education to folks as they're doing that. Give some folks some inspiration to bring this full circle. If we're going to spend all the time in the woods, then let's bring that in and let's truly celebrate that. Because when you get people around the table, I mean, you eat summer sausage, you eat jerky, you eat roast, you eat burger, like every piece of that venison gets consumed and it's a celebration there. So that's, that's mainly what my show is all about. It's after the shot. And yeah, I feel like it's a niche that really is, is something that gets folks excited. Absolutely, man. And so the Huntervore, Huntervore podcast, what day do you launch? I should um, know. Of all people, I'm, I should know, but I, I can't yeah. remember. <laughs> I'm a, I'm every other Monday. I'm bi-weekly yet. Right. I'm I'm trying to get to the point where I can be weekly. I got three little boys at home. I got a full-time job. I got a family farm that I'm still helping out with. Uh, so it's one of those things like I, I want this to be sustainable. Um, I want this to be a thing that I'm, I'm not just a, a flash in the pan, so to speak. I want to be here for the long haul. And so, yeah, every other Monday. Uh, I just released one this Monday, so if folks are trying to get on track, they, there won't be anything this next coming Monday, but then the 17th will be my next episode. Awesome. Andrew, did you guys start off as bi-weekly, or did you jump straight into every week? We were threatened that we would be cut if we didn't give him content every week. There it is. Hey, that's no. how. That's the way the cookie crumbles, man. Dan's a slave driver. <laughs> we can say this because yeah. he, he's not here. So, so Dan is out hunting in Iowa tonight. Uh, poor Dan, but, uh, right. anyway, so you guys went straight to weekly. Yeah. So I, we are, we're a really unique situation. I, I've told the story before, but basically we, the Ohio Huntsman had the feed on, on the nation, uh, at sportsman's empire. I literally just text Dan and was like, Hey, you need somebody to fill that Ohio void. And next thing you know, we we're producing episodes. So it was, uh, it's been weekly all the way for the, we've only been at this for a year, just over a year. And, um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of been our, our thing. Okay. So how did you know, how did you know Dan? I didn't. You did. Okay. All right. Sweet. Okay. So it's just like, boom, let's do this, Dan. Yeah. It's one of those things. My wife will tell you, like, I'm the luckiest SOB to walk the face of the earth and I, you know, everything just, the stars always align. Um, but I, I literally just sent him a message. I've been listening 
through the network for a while. And, uh, I was like, I could, I, I think I could do this. Like I suck. I'm not, I, I'm an average hunter. Okay. We'll go say that I've been doing it for a while. I, I hadn't grown up in a hunting family, anything like that. Paul, same way. Paul, the co-host is very Turkey oriented. That's all he thinks about. Mine's more white tails together. We mesh pretty well. Uh, both of us kind of had the jobs and sales where we talk to people all the time. So that's where it all kind of came together. Yeah. Very good, man. You guys are doing an excellent, excellent job over there. Your most recent episode, uh, about self-filming was fantastic. I listened to that on my way back from Wisconsin, uh, at like three in the morning. Um, you had sent in the files. I, I don't, I hadn't done the uploading yet or something like that. And I just played the raw audio file, you know, before anything was uploaded. So really, really good. Uh, Nick, how long have you been with the network? This is year, I want to say year three. Okay. Um, I've been podcasting for, I think, four years total. And, yeah, it was a year in because it was in January. That's where I got a call from Dan out of the blue. And um, we, we were talking a little bit, and he goes, you know what? You, you don't sound like dog shit. And I've worn that as a badge, like to hear that from Dan. <laughs> and from there, like it's just kind of been good. Like I've just kind to, uh, yeah, keep up that pace of, of every other biweekly. But yeah, I really want to push towards weekly. It's it, it's just one of those things. Like man, I gotta I gotta buckle down and and try to get to that point. But at the same time, finding folks that are excited about food and and doing that, I felt like it was a niche that I needed that needed to get filled. Yeah, I was bouncing from podcast to podcast. They would have Hank Shaw on, or they would have um, Jesse Griffith on, and I would just be constantly following the same people around. And I was like, man, if there was one spot where I could talk to, or I could hear the people that I want to hear from on the wild game side of it, and a buddy of mine was like, why don't, why don't you be that guy? If you're looking for that and you haven't found it yet, that's you. So that's where I jumped in and it's been one, it's a, it started as a selfish endeavor and now it's one of those things like, man, I want to share this with as many people. Like, yeah, man, that's awesome. That, that jump to weekly is, is gigantic when I, so I was doing every other week with the Wisconsin sportsman and I went from every other week with the Wisconsin sportsman to every week with two different shows. And oh boy. I was like, Oh my goodness. Like those first couple of weeks of adjusting uh, were were a nightmare trying to fit in work and kids and just, just all the stuff. So, uh, I, I just quit my job. Uh, I just, I, just, <laughs> <laughs> I figured something had to go. Yeah. Yeah. Something had to go. And so it was the job, but, uh, I have a very fantastic and understanding wife, uh, which, which works hey, out Nick, pretty well. How, how did you get into not just the culinary side, but kind of the, the meat carving and, and, all that. Do you have a background in that or is that some passion that you just researched and figured out? And I, I grew up on a turkey farm. Um, actually I live, uh, just next door to my parents' farm and we're, we raise turkeys. We raise, uh, domestic turkeys and we've got a retail front out, out, uh, by the road, nice big store. And through that, I learned how to butcher turkeys. Um, that's been a part since, I mean, shoot, we have pictures of me when I'm, you know, seven years old, I'm standing on a chair and I'm running a pin feather as they're coming down the line. So it's just been a part of my life, at least for turkeys. And then I really, once I, once I got out of college, once I finally got my first career job, I was looking at what I was eating and what my new family was going to have. I was you know, recently married and you know, what are, what are we putting on our table? And I really want to get into uh, being a locavore. And that was kind of where this thing started at first, just for me is, well, I want to see if I can't keep things as local as possible. And then I went hunting with some buddies. I've always been around deer hunting. That's never been a, a thing that's there. But then when I experienced myself, especially on the bow hunting side, I was just immediately hooked. And I was like, this, this is how I want to pursue my meat from now on, whether I'm doing it myself through the farm, whether I'm finding a grower that's going to do it or whether I'm doing it myself. Um, there was a learning curve though, when it came to dropping a deer. Cause I was like, shoot, now I got fur and four legs. Like I went from, I went from really small to now really big. Um, so yeah, a lot of research either through YouTube. I picked up a few books. Um, I checked out some of the work from the USDA 
through their cut list. And I was down um, at the library checking out some of the stuff from the University of Kentucky. They've got a butchering program that uh, was online, so I could actually look at some of that stuff. And from there, I just kind of adapted that into cutting benefits. Um, whether it's the beef side of it or even like now looking at lamb, how is lamb cut different than beef and how, how could that relate into uh, venison? So it's been one of those ongoing adventures. Like I hear about someone making a cut on something domestic and it's like, let's see if we can't adapt that over here into uh, the wild game world. So yeah, it's a lot of either growing up in it, running the knife and that's, yeah, I've, I just had, always had a knife in my hand. Um, but then, yeah, a lot of, a lot of books. A lot of watching videos, a lot of wife going, why are you drinking whiskey and watching this video for the fifth time? Like, well, I missed the spot. So I got with, with a knife in your hand. With a knife in my hand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that that's good. You know, Nick, I, I've got a confession to make, man. My, my whole life growing up, we, um, I, I grew up in, in Alabama. So, you know, temperatures were usually not very conducive to, letting a deer sit around for a while, like you were kind of on the move. And if you were going to clean your own deer, it was a, it was pretty much a right away thing. We didn't have a walk-in cooler or anything like that. So I grew up just like shooting deer, throwing them into the bed of a truck and driving them straight to the processor and walking away from it. And never, never really got my own, my hands dirty other than, you know, dragging the deer out. Last year was my first experience all the way from the from the field to my table and it was the most rewarding hunt or deer that I've ever killed I think absolutely like it was such a did it did it taste better every bite that you had from that the first meal that you made did it taste better absolutely absolutely and did you tell everybody at the table hey hey hey, I I cut this 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 is where I found it this is how I did that Yep. Oh, and it was and it was like, well, here's what we're having tonight. Here's the specific cut, and here's where that comes from, and here's how I did it, and here's how why I prepared it this way because it's this instead of that, and you know all this stuff, and just like, yeah, it was fantastic. And I I legitimately think though, like, I don't know, I like it. It literally tasted better. You know what I mean? Like, like I don't mean it just tasted better because the experience. Like it tasted better. Just I don't know. Maybe the people that I've been taking my deer to my whole life haven't been doing a great job. I, I don't, I don't get it. Well, let's, not, let's not drop their name then. Let's yeah. leave that out. <laughs> oh man. Andrew, do you, do you butcher your own deer? Are you start to finish? Yeah. So I started that a couple of years ago, uh, actually with COVID and everything. I think that we, uh, I think that was the year I was like, all right, well, you know, all shit hits the fan. Like we're going to have to do this ourselves. So I, I kind of not anywhere near a Nick's level, but enough that I could get into the freezer and make it into edible food. And, uh, I've gotten a little bit better as time's gone on, um, through confession. We take the big cuts that we need a couple of roasts, maybe the shanks and everything else ends up in, in hamburger or deer burger. Uh, but that's just how, like I got two little kids. It's easiest that way right now. So, um, but yeah, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, we do do all that ourselves as well. I've got lots of questions for Nick on, on some of those different things, but uh, maybe that's a different conversation. We might have to do a whole podcast on it. We'll just, we'll take one. When one of us shoots a buck this year, we'll just set that one aside as like the one that we're like, all right, Nick, now what do we do? Yes, we'll do that. We can do a Zoom call. We'll wait for everybody to get a deer. We'll do like we're doing tonight. Everybody gets a deer, a table in front of them. Now everybody grab the right shoulder. We'll, <laughs> we'll build it down on that. Dude, that'd be so awesome. I'm, I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged that you guys are, are picking it up because yeah, it's not an easy thing. And to have, to have processors is all, is already a blessing. I mean, you talked about the Alabama thing. Yeah. If you're not on top of it, you're looking at spoiling it. And I say kudos because you put it in the back of the truck, you got it to the processor. You didn't stop at three or four gas stations just so that you could show it off and mm-hmm. spend the whole afternoon with it in the back. No, no, you got it right there. Because that field care is immensely important. That those first steps, all the way from field dressing, getting everything out, not being afraid to get the full anus out of the deer. I feel like that's a big spot that guys are missing. They're leaving this spot in there. Not only is that a vehicle for 
heat to escape because you got that over there, but that's a, just a big bacteria festering thing that you want to get out of there. So to be up front, like not to be shy about sticking your thumb up in there so that you can then pull it to the side, get a good cut, get all the way around, pull that thing out. You know, you've, you've gone to the extent of shooting it. Now let's get to the extent of fully cleaning that out. And, but yeah, to hear both of you guys are cutting it and being able to get what your family needs from it. I, I did stick my nose up a few years in the fact that it's like, well, I, I try to go with the whole cut and if I can go bone in, that would be most preferred. But yeah, now I'm in the same boat as, uh, as you guys where I got three kids and burger is king. We can make a hundred different things with burger. And as much as I want to keep some of these cuts and I definitely do. Um, but I almost have like a second dinner off to the side with my wife and I, my one buddy gave me a bunch of crap about it. He goes, no, no, no. You make dinner once and you make those kids eat it like that. You made that. That's what they got to eat. But some of the dishes I'm making, like, that's not fair. That kid has no idea what kind of mushrooms are in here. They don't like <laughs> mushrooms in the first place. Like I got this glaze going on and I really spruced it up. Like they're like, listen, I will eat whatever you put on my plate. Just make it somewhat my category. So yeah, we save the spaghetti for them. We save the tacos for them. And then mom and dad get the high class when I finally get around to making something nice. Very at, nice. at our house, it, it doesn't matter what it, ketchup is going on it. Right. So I'm like, if, if it's going to be uh, one of these higher end type things, I'm not, I'm not wasting it on those kids, but I'll yeah. tell you one, one thing I'd, when it comes to doing it yourself and different things, I mean, hunting can be anything from guys who go out for the one week of the year in gun season, at least in Ohio, uh, to the ones that are out 10 miles deep, packing things out on their back, all that kind of stuff, you know, but there's a level of dedication. And I, I ran into this this year where I actually had shot two deer one night. Uh, I found one, the other one I had issues with. Um, but by the time I got home, everything, it was like 11 o'clock at night. You know, I think the low that, that night might've been 60 degrees. I did not have a choice. I had to cut that thing up and get it in the freezer or else it was all for naught, right? So mm, the yeah. dedication, I mean, there, and that goes to that whole idea of when you go to eat it, it, it you remember that, right? That it was like, hell, oh, that was that was quite the story. And and who who's the one that talks about it? is it Plan B fun or something like that? Type type B fun, uh, type two fun, like, yeah, yeah. Where where it's like uh, at the moment you're like, I'm so tired, I just want to go to bed, whatever. But in the long run, you look back and you're like, that's what it's all about, man. Yeah, yeah, that's Amen. a really good point. Amen. That's a really, really good point. I, Nick, give me your thoughts just real quick. And I, we, I mean, we could we could do a whole episode on this, right? But thoughts on aging deer when you don't have like a walk-in cooler, that kind of thing. Uh, what are you suggesting that guys do? Um, so I've got my one fridge sitting right over here is dedicated to beer and deer. That And that's a guy that you know, I really focus on. Um, the wild game side of it. I really focused on even, I mean, I have it running all year. So during duck season and during whatever's in season, if my buddies get something and they don't, either their wives are not going to let them put stuff with heads in their own refrigerators. They at least have a spot to go with it here. Um, for the case of this buck, it, it was going to be warm that weekend. And buddy left it overnight in his garage. It was going to get cool enough that we could hang it for a night he really wanted to pack it full of ice. And I was telling him like, it's better to just let, let it air out, put a fan on it. That's actually going to do better than I think the ice is going to do. We were going to be sitting right around the low fifties. So it wasn't like, like danger. Um, but he brought it over in the morning and we broke it up into primals. And at that point, like, you know, I just had these leg quarters and then I, I cut down the ribs just so it would fit in the in the refrigerator. But that way I had it in a controlled setting. It's not going to, last there for forever. Like this isn't one of those, like you're good. It's done. It's taken care of. You're just buying yourself some time. But if you've got a garage refrigerator, that is an awesome way to buy yourself some time, uh, pull out the racks, pull out the beer, let that get warm. Cause you can always chill it back down again. But being able to give yourself a couple days, uh, in the refrigerator is a good option to go. I can, I usually like seven days. Seven days is a good age for me. Um, you're not going to get a ton of, you know, when people talk about like dry aging steaks 
that's a different type of aging than what we're getting with a hanging carcass. Um, beef gets hung up for 21 days and before it's even touched. And that's going to be on the shelf cryovac that's wet aged at that point. When we're, when we're handling the venison, because it's a little bit of a smaller animal, that seven days has really been a good sweet spot for me. I feel that things have really loosened up as far as connective tissues, um, as far as silver skin. When you're pulling stuff off, it doesn't feel like it's on there and it's never going to come off and you have to work super hard. If, if you can follow that blade off, those, those connective tissues are starting to loosen up. The enzymes have already gone to work. Am I going to notice a huge change in flavor? Not so much in those, in those seven days, but I would say there's a tenderness factor that I'm getting. Even in the meat, things aren't as stiff. Things aren't as tense as I would get something, uh, you know, the next day, so to speak. Um, again, but it, it will also continue to work itself in the, in the uh, refrigerator or the freezer that you put it in but it's just going to be at a rate that, you know, you're not even going to be able to measure it um, at that point. Um, when it gets later in the year, then I love to hang them, let them hang in the garage for seven days. I leave the hide on, make sure I get air on, make sure I've got stuff flowing through there. Um, Danielle Pruitt, she did a whole article on aging. And that's what kind of got me looking into that. I, I picked seven days as far as the amount of, quote unquote tenderness, whatever they could gauge as far as the meat scientist was concerned, you got seven days of really high exponential change, but then past that seven, like from seven to 10, it lowered uh, a little bit. And then the next seven was a little bit less than that. So it started to plateau. You started to have a stall essentially. Uh, But that first seven days, you got most of the work in there. So that's been kind of my point is if I've got the, if I've got the fridge or I've got the chill to, to hang it seven days. Um, but if it's a, if it's a must, you got to get it done. I would say throw it in the fridge, give it a, you know, a full 24 hours for rigor to let go and then get after cut. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, man, so let's, let's take a step back then before the, the cutting comes the harvest. Uh, have you guys been getting out in the woods? I have, I've gotten out twice. One, uh, successful in the fact that I saw a deer. I, I was sitting on a ridgetop. Uh, I had eggs behind me. I saw four does. I had two little bucks come through. And then I had what I would consider a shooter. I think he had eight points. It was dark enough that I couldn't get a full count on him. But, man, he had broad shoulders. He had a big body. And when they don't, they're no, they're not stupid when they're that big. He never gave me an opportunity uh, to get a shot. Even though he was at 27, he just was working his way between brush, brush pile to brush pile, keeping stuff on both sides of him. He was already, I think he knew what, what time of year it was. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like he, uh, even though I got a chance to saw him, he didn't give me a chance to do anything about it. Uh, second sit, I just saw a few does, nothing in range, but it, uh, I did get harassed by a squirrel. That was uh, that was a good that was a good time. Got good footage of that. I, it, I reminded myself I need to have an arrow with a judo tip on it because all I could do was just listen to this thing chew my butt for being in this tree. Just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the How to Hunt Deer podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best point of view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. Their gear is made by outdoorsmen for outdoorsmen. Archery openers are just around the corner, and Tacticam just released several new products to help you share your hunt and take your scouting to the next level. Topping the list is their 6.0 point-of-view camera, providing 4K footage in a user-friendly, waterproof package. They've also just released the new Solo Extreme, giving you HD footage, 3 to 8x zoom, and one-touch operation that you've come to expect from your Tacticam point-of-view camera. Tacticam's lineup of cameras is supported by the best mounts and adapters on the market. This fall, I'll be using their stabilizer mount as well as their bendy clamp mount to make sure my cameras don't miss any of the action. And last but not least, they just launched the Reveal X Pro. With no visible flash, built-in LCD screen, and built-in GPS tracking, the Reveal X Pro will help you take your scouting to the next level. 
You can learn more about these and Tacticam's entire line of products at Tacticam.com or RevealCellCam.com. This episode is also brought to you by Deer Lab, the number one trail camera app for hunters and land managers. Deer Lab gives you a simple way to store, organize, and analyze all of your trail camera data. Deer Lab has tons of great features like the ability to filter photos based on what's in them like deer or turkeys or people. It syncs your photos with local weather to help you pattern your target. And you can even mass edit your timestamps, which is a great feature if you're like me and you forget to correct the time on your camera. Head over to DeerLab.com to check them out. You can get a free 30-day trial. And then when you're ready to buy, use the code HUNTDEER, all caps, for 20% off of any plan. Now let's get back to the show. I was hunting in Wisconsin last weekend uh, in this walnut grove, and the squirrels were freaking losing their minds. I mean, they were everywhere. And I'm, I'm looking at my buddy. We're, we're, we're saddle hunting. We're in a multi-trunk tree together trying to do some filming and different things. And I'm looking at him. I'm like, dude, we've got to start shooting these squirrels. Like, I, I don't know what else to do. There's so many of them, and they're running around everywhere. Like, I, I, I've got to have something. So next time I go there, I will be ready for small game before, um, before I return. Because, man, it was, it was very, very tempting. Andrew. Now, does, oh, sorry, so go does ahead. Georgia run simultaneous seasons? So, like, their small game is going on the same time right now as, uh, as deer is? Yep, yep. Georgia runs, I think so. I'm pretty positive it starts the same day as archery season here, uh, which our archery season came in September 10th this year. So we've got a pretty we've got a pretty early season down here. Um, but I've actually hunted more in Wisconsin this year than I have in Georgia, um, for lots of reasons. One of which being the hunting's just a lot better in Wisconsin. But um, yeah, it's just it, it just is. It's just you know it's just one of those states. Uh, Andrew. What's up since we last talked? Have you have you been hunting? Well, I've got a I've got a camera out near a, a stand of mine that on your squirrel note, and he will die. Um, I, I'm actually really good at hitting squirrels. Probably don't put as much pressure on myself, but uh, he sets my camera off consistently every day, so I know he is going. He is down. Like he, he might as well just call quits now. As soon as I get down to that stand, but um, I set out last weekend, and I've got. Um, like I said before, I fill freezers. So that's uh, first and foremost, I don't, I've got a, uh, a stand where the does are just every day, which I think that'll pay off in the long run when it comes to the antler side of things. But um, last Saturday night I, I had uh, some come in and I had a mom and a, and a, and a baby with, with spots. And uh, I was, I was tempted, but I didn't. Um, so I let those two go. And then I had another one come in by herself. I'm like, this is it, whatever. Well, I learned the lesson and, and turns out there's a lot of, of information out there that when they have their head down, they're like Keanu Reeves in the matrix. And when you yes. let that arrow fly, all of a sudden they have the, the ducking ability uh, is, is unbelievable. So she missed or I missed her. Um, she won. And, and uh, I think he, we talked about it earlier. Uh, we had our, our, our episode this week. We talked about self-filming. So I actually had rigged up with a gear tie my phone onto my bow so I could actually see what was going on because I got kind of inspired to do this self-filming thing. Not quite as in-depth in as everything else, but there are other people. So I had the ability to go back and look at that and see exactly what happened. And it wasn't, you know, it's not world-class footage, but it was enough. And I'm like, well, now I, now I know what happened. And man, it, it was incredible to watch her duck that, but I'm, I'm not in the self-building, but I think you're onto something here to be able to check what the heck just happened. Okay. Because somebody gets into this and they're going to be like every one of us, our first couple years, you shoot the deer, it runs off, you call your buddy and they're like, all right, where'd it go? I don't know. Where'd you hit it? I, I don't know. Yep. <laughs> to sort of have like footage to be like, okay. All it is, you know, stick my phone out in front of it. I shouldn't be playing on it anyway. I should probably put it down, put it on the front of my bow, and at least now I have a shot or, you know, footage of what happened. Okay, so, Nick, you're, you're really going to love this, being from where you're at. But the uh, the real reason I, I set that phone up is I wanted to watch the Buckeyes uh, while I was sitting out there in the woods. And uh, then I was like, wait, I can just flip this over and turn it into a camera. Uh, so that's how that whole thing really started. And... Since then, though, I 
I've done a little research. I ordered some magnets from Amazon. I've got ways I can, I mounted it myself, but there's also a guy from up in Michigan. I can't remember. He might be Nick too, uh, or Nate. Anyways, painted arrow archery is got this thing and it is so stupidly simple that goes on your, on your stabilizer that you can, you know, it just does what it does. You know, it uses your phone and that camera quality to take care of the video. Also found an app called Bicam, I think, that allows you to run the camera. I have an iPhone, the front ways camera and the out, or the, you know, the facing you and facing out so you can see what you're doing during the draw all from your phone. It's actually going to, I think, going to be pretty cool if I can remember to do it all in, in the moment. Oh, man. Man. That, that's great. That's great. That That's one of my primary things like I, I've filmed a lot of hunts over the last couple of years and I haven't posted a single one or anything like that. A lot of the reason that I want that footage though, is so I can go back and say, okay, what happened? Where, where did I hit that deer? And, um, so full disclosure, Tacticam's one of the partners of the show. Uh, I was on the phone with them today talking about their products and that kind of, all that good stuff talking about specifically the six Oh, uh, the newer camera with this little LCD screen on there where you can kind of go back and watch the shot immediately. And that is what has led me to uh, really dig the Tacticams is that piece of, of using my phone. Um, yes, sometimes yeah. we're playing on it, and I probably shouldn't be playing on it. Uh, but sometimes I'm, you know, I'm looking at OnX or I'm, you know, I'm doing something productive and, and I'm really bad about working while I'm on the tree stand. Uh, you know, pulling out, answering emails, getting back to people, that kind of thing. But uh, I like to have my phone on me. And that's where, for me, the Tacticam is king just because I can now have my phone for all the other things that I like to use it for. Because I've tried to use my phone before where I had, like, this little camera arm that was made specifically for the phone. And I found myself, like, putting it back on the camera arm and then taking it back off and then putting it back on the camera arm and taking it back off. I'm like, man, that's – that's a lot of movement, you know, in, in the yeah. in the tree stand. I don't, I don't need to be doing, uh, need to be doing all of that. Well, man, that that's pretty awesome. So you you didn't get the doe. Has has Paul been out? I don't think recently. He has so far this year. Um, saw a couple things. Nothing in in range. Um, but he uh, he's got he had that nose surgery or whatever done. So he's he's recouping from that this weekend. And then I'm sure he's ready to itching to get out. So, yeah. So you guys made the swap this year or were you saddle hunting prior to this year? I've, I've been in for, this is my second or third year. I can't remember. Okay. All right. So you've been, you've been at it for a while. Um, how's he coming along? He's doing good, man. I, uh, Paul's, I'm five foot seven, 170 pounds. Okay. I don't know what Paul's statistics are, but he's taller than me and he's larger than me. So uh, I think there was some hesitation in that just to be a, a larger person, get up there. Um, I, when we were down at ACA, I talked to Taylor Chamberlain, who's also a larger human. And uh, I think I gave him some confidence, but the, you know, he'd always be sending me pictures out in his tree in his backyard. He's like, look, I got up three feet today and I'm like good that's get six feet you know like let's, let's keep going um but like I think Paul hunts a lot of public land and that's hanging hunt and that's you know sometimes it's in the dark if you're out in the morning and and you you gotta have the whole system like kind of dialed in you have to be comfortable with it so you know the more he does it the more he's gonna get get used to it and have all that kind of stuff yeah, yeah. for sure so let's talk then plans coming up for this next year. You know, what do you have? Uh, what do you have planned as far as hunting? Are you going to be in the timber? And if so, do you have, you know, something specific that you're after, you know, it's a pretty good cold front blowing through. So what's going on? Well, I kind of burned my, uh, all my vacation days, uh, early this year in September. Um, went out with some buddies. We, uh, we've been planning the archery elk trip for a couple of years. So we, we got our two points. We put in our application for Montana. Uh, three of us drew the one guy who didn't was still trying to come along on the trip with us. Um, I have, I have an episode where I just basically regurgitate everything that happened. We just go back and forth with, with the guy that we were with, but we went DIY. We went, uh, 
buddy who works logistics. So his whole thing was, I'm going to, I'm going to figure out where we're going to go. And he scoured the map and he put us on, uh, on elk very quickly, like, you know, just through his scouting. And from there we had some experiences that I tell you what, I still like being so close to elk and having them calling back to us. Like I still hear them at night. Like, you know, it's, it's one of those things that was just awe inspiring. Wow. So that was my big trip of the year was uh, heading out there. Aspirations this year stay the same as far as I want to fill the freezer first, same way that, uh, same way as the guys here. I want to be able to fill that freezer first, get a dough in. Uh, so I'm thinking Sunday. Sunday's going to be my first chance to get out this weekend. We've got soccer games. We've got a couple trips with the wife that we're doing. So I'm trying to play the slow role on that. Um, didn't sink any cameras in on the home farm. And I've got uh, the cameras going over to a friend's farm or a friend's property. He's recently bought acreage. He doesn't hunt, but he's like, hey, I want some venison. So I was like, shoot, let's see what's out there, and uh, we'll give it a go. Very cool, man. Months, are you getting out this weekend? Uh, that's the plan. Also have soccer and flag football that will, uh, take up some of my time, but, but the, that well, we're going to go from uh, today, the last couple of days have been about in the seventies here. And then I think the high Saturday is about 55 and low 34. So we're really going to take a turn down. Um, and I know there's that debatable topic of whether or not a cold front's really worth it, but it's also Saturday and I'm going to find time to get out there. But um, after that, my big trips this year, I'm actually going up next way to Drummond Island. Uh, we'll be up there for about a week. And then, um, I always go over to Pennsylvania to the deer camp that I've basically been raised, not raising, but that's where I've, I've learned a lot and, and buddies from back home. So get a little big wood stuff in there and a lot of public land, um, chances, hopefully. Very cool. Awesome. That Drummond Island hunt sounds great. That sounds like a great time. Fingers crossed, baby. You guys, see, the thing that's interesting about Ohio, we don't have antler restrictions. So going to these other states and actually having to, like, know – this sounds terrible – know what you're shooting uh, and, and pay attention is <laughs> like, oh, you can't just assume that it's, uh, you know, legal or that can be an issue. So. Yeah, it's still a hot-button topic. We've got a few more counties that have tried to adopt that antler point restriction. Um, they, We've got a, a real crew of people that are around that here in Michigan. Not to say that, you know, I'm, I don't agree with like, hey, if, if that's not your challenge, like if you want to go for a bigger deer, go for a bigger deer. But I, I love the fact that we're still an opportunity state that, Anybody can get a tag. Anybody can shoot anything they want. And we do have counties that are like that. The county that I live in, yeah, it's kind of one of those brown is down states. But at the same time, to see see folks get what they what they went out to get, and they weren't inhibited because somebody said, "Wow, oh, it's it's not big enough." Like they get a chance to just go hunt. So I like that the spirit of that is still there. And then yeah, there's still those areas that if people want to hold out for them, then yeah, let them hold out. I know yeah. over in Pennsylvania at the, at the camp that I go to, they've had that cabin since the late seventies, early eighties. And I know they've been hunting up there since longer than that, but it's amazing. Like you can see they, they used to mount everything that they'd get, whether it was a button buck, a spike or whatever. And that's how it started. And then over the years, these, these deer have just gotten progressively larger. And I mean, to the point where I'm not good at scoring or anything, but there are some absolute beautiful deer there. In, within the last five, six, seven years, eight years, that back in the day, if you'd got that, I mean, you would have been on every front page of paper in Pennsylvania because it was so big. Um, so I, I, I'm not sure that's the only reason that they've gotten bigger, but I surely, I mean, it, it, it sure looks like it's a big part of it. Yeah, man, I, I've followed that whole Pennsylvania thing pretty close and, and I've looked into it quite a bit. It, it certainly looks like their antler restrictions are, are part of it. You know, I'm with, I'm with Nick on that piece, though, of like, hey, if people want to go out and shoot a smaller buck and that's the hunt that they're after, you know, and their primary goal is to uh, bring home some meat for the family, like, totally get it. I like the way Alabama has structured things. I think it's, I think it's currently like this. Um, they, you can, you have basically a deer that's, that's whatever you want to shoot. 
You want to go out and shoot a spike? That's great. But then your next buck needs to be a bigger one. So they're basically saying, hey, you can't fill all three of your tags with a spike. You know what I mean? Which that from a I like that from a biological and state herd management perspective is a really good way to go about it because we need those older age class deer for a healthy and stable deer herd. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, a guy can go out and say, I've got one weekend this year and a spike comes by and he can smoke that thing and take it home to his family and be proud and jacked up about deer hunting until he gets to go next year, you know, for that one weekend of the year. Like, I don't, I don't want that guy to have to say, well, he doesn't have four points on one side, so I'm going home empty handed. Yeah. Were you a part of the Ernabuck thing in Wisconsin? No, that was, that was before my time. That was before my time. And you mentioned Ernabuck, man, and it's like, <laughs> it, dude, it's like walking into a room and just like announcing who you voted for last last election, right? Like it just, <laughs> it just immediately polarizes the conversation. Everyone around you has a strong opinion, and it can get pretty heated. It can get really, really heated. And I've I've heard people talk about the Ernabuck days as though like those were the glory days. You know, those were the fan. Those were great. That's when we were doing what we were supposed to do. And then you have folks talk about the Ernabuck days like it was the Great Depression. And, like, you know, it was just misery all around. So, yeah, before my time, I don't know what to make of it, to be honest with you, because I don't, I don't feel like I can get an honest perspective, uh, an unbiased. Uh, honest, yes. I don't think I can get an unbiased perspective, if that makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, guys, I'll, I'll give you a little update on, on my – Last hunt, uh, Andrew, I was kind of prepping you last time. You know, I was up on, I was on the way to Wisconsin when we recorded. Uh, Nick, you missed that one, man. I recorded our last episode in the parking lot of a Circle K uh, sitting in the back of my car, which is probably the sketchiest thing I've ever done because it was like not a cool Circle K. It was like one of those in that part of town where like people are walking by and like occasionally looking into your vehicle and it's like, oh, this is not. This is not what I want to be happening right now. So, uh, circle lowercase K at yeah, that point, man. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was rough. It was rough. But so I got up to Wisconsin. I was there for, uh, to do a wedding. Uh, I was performing a wedding for, uh, some friends of mine. Beautiful ceremony. Next day, got out into the woods, moved a bunch of trail cameras back off of where I kind of had them for summer inventory, early fall inventory, all of that good stuff. And then I could switch my attention to hunting. And um, the, gosh, what was it? Sunday evening, I ended up busting two bucks out of their bed. And I I got to the first location, and um, I was like, man, the sign is telling me to stop. Like, it it was just deer sign city in there. There were no rubs, and there were no scrapes open yet. There were a couple licking branches that I could tell were were active, and then there were just tracks everywhere, including a couple of big tracks. I was like, gosh, I, I need to stop. I was like, but I need to put this trail camera 20 yards that way because I know that this scrape underneath this tree is going to open up again. It's a scrape that's, that opens up every year just outside of a marsh, and it's, got, it's where several trails all come up out of the marsh in the same spot. So I knew I needed to put my camera there, and I walked like another five steps, and a really nice buck jumped up and – and took off. So he waited, he waited for me to get real, real close. So I'm kicking myself, but I'm like, I'm here. I've bumped him. I need to hang this camera. I've got to have this from, for Intel for when I get back up, uh, for my rutcation. So I back out, I circle back around the bedding area to uh, another entry point where a couple of trails kind of all converge in this opening. It's just, it's super thick and nasty. Like the, the kind of brush that even deer won't walk through you know, like this just really low, really branchy brush. And a couple of trails converge all at this one point coming up out of the marsh. And I'm like, okay, the deer should be pressured here. It, I'm not far from an access trail. So I'm just going to, I'm going to walk up into here, push as far as I feel like I can. I know there's a buck bed that I found last winter, you know, about 150 yards from me. So I push in just a little bit and I stop literally and start looking around for a tree to climb. I'm trying to figure out which one of these I'm going to climb. And another buck that was smaller but I probably still would have shot him, jumps up behind me. He had let me walk past him, jumped up behind me, and ran off. Wow. So, dude, wow. It, yeah, it's one of those 
it's one of the and, and I was probably 15 to 20 yards from that one too. So I was within 20 yards of two different bucks. One was really nice. One I still would have shot. He was smaller, but I mean a, a decent rack on him. Uh, probably a two year old. Uh, in one evening, and these deer let me get real close uh, to their to them in their beds. And so, first of all, I'm thinking the place probably hasn't been pressured that hard. Not nearly as hard as I as I anticipated it would have been by now, by this point of the season. At the same time, man, I, I walked away with just like this huge confidence boost of like, dude, this year is going to be freaking phenomenal. Uh, so, yeah, really looking forward to that. And I'm not going to get out again until October 31st. Call you got the all the way out to Halloween. Oh, are the cameras oh, man. cell cams? What's that? Are your cameras cell cams? Oh, yeah, they're reveals. Yep. Okay, so you'll be getting intel then. Oh, yeah, for sure. Good deal. Dude, the next, literally the next morning, uh, I had two small bucks were coming back into bed right by that camera where I jumped the bigger buck. Um, so they're, they're already lighting up. Um, every deer that has come through there so far, even up until today, is still smelling where I was. Like they're still walking through there and acting really sketchy. So I don't know if, if it's my scent or if it's, you know, hey, something has been disturbed in here. I don't know what exactly they're picking up on, but they're still super skittish and nervous walking through these areas. So, That's crazy. Yeah. Even days later. Yeah, even days later, man. So it, it's, a, it's a good reminder of, you know, on, on ground that does get pressured, um, you, those deer are really impact. You, you make a bigger impact than you might think. Um, you know, they, they, it's always interesting to me to see a deer's response after you've hung a trail camera, you know, during the summer, I'll go hang a trail camera and I'll have deer come right up to it and like sniff the camera and start licking it and all kinds of stuff like that. And then boom, it's fall. And they walk in and they're like, I know what this is. I don't like that. Nope. Yeah. Don't want any of it. So, Crazy. Man. All right, guys. Any Anything else? I mean, I, gosh, I, I I texted Mitch. I didn't hear anything. So, we'll see. Well, if he's busy, that's probably a good thing. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully, he's just not sulking. He might. The uh, only other thing I was going to bring up is, you know, from in Ohio, we've got crops coming off the field now. Um, a lot of the area where we're at, we had really good rains and everything this year. Um, I was at a golf outing on Monday. Um, not my favorite thing in the world to do for numerous reasons, but <laughs> it's part of my job. And uh, I, 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 I'm the joke, uh, the butt of the joke there because I drive around. I don't really care about the golf, but I collect acorns, okay, that are falling from these trees. And golf courses have beautiful trees a lot of times. And I just fill up every cup and container I can figure out and then take them home. I germinate them, try to put them in my yard to grow so that, you know, 50 years down the road, they actually do something, but that's a different story. The, uh, I, I think that the, the mass crop in Ohio and I imagine other parts of the Midwest should be really good, um, going into the, the fall here. So this, I think if, if you hone in on those and I had, a that first weekend I was out, I was underneath a couple white Oaks, man, there was deer underneath that all night. So, um, to anybody listening, if you can f- figure out what a white Oak is, start there and, and, and try to follow some of those of the other oaks and other trees, their oaks, mentor the reds, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Nick, I'm so glad you brought that up because I, it's been a few years since we've had an acorn crop that's come down and the big oaks that I noticed just in, even in my yard, uh, started dropping. I was just, I noticed it because you know, I'm mowing the lawn and I'm like, Oh, Hey, we finally got acorns coming back. And then when I went out and I didn't get a chance to do a whole lot of, early scouting. Um, I'm on property that I've, you know, I've got a chance to traditionally get a, get a chance to get my hands on. So I kind of know how things are moving. But then again, as I get on that ridge top, I start walking, I'm seeing, yeah, everything littered on the ground. Um, we have a few white oaks and I've kind of pinpointed where those are at, but man, the red oak is just really coming down. So I've got like a secondary source, but I don't have that like super primary. Right. And that white oaks have the, the rounded leaves, right? And that's, that's the points on the end. So take advantage of those before they fall off. But Nick, man, there, at that golf outing, there was a couple spots where I'm driving that cart. It felt like I was, I was driving over marbles. I mean, they were just so heavy and thick and it was incredible. Man, I, I'm glad to hear you guys are finding some acorns because I didn't find Jack this past weekend in Wisconsin. No. Oh, I man. walked, 
I walked 10 miles. Now, a lot of that 10 miles was through marsh and different things. So it wasn't like I was just, you know, walking oak flats. But the areas where I traditionally. You were next to an oak tree, so that's why you didn't find any acorns. Darn. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I didn't, I didn't go buy any oak trees, but man, there, I'd, I'd expect to find at least one. Uh, no, so the, the bur oaks, which usually drop pretty early on this property, they're like, I hope they're still hanging around by opening day. Um, they did not appear to drop this year. I did not find any residual, you know, cracked shells or caps or anything like that. And then, so I go and check this one ridge that has red oaks on it. It's like the only, well, there, there are two strips actually of red oaks on this property. And I go in and I check those, nothing, like not an acorn on the ground. And, uh, man, so I don't, I don't know what's going to happen once the, uh, I did find though, there was this really bright green plant that the deer were just mowing down. And I've noticed that the last couple of years in a row, I need to figure out what this plant is, but it traditionally grows in kind of low spots, but not really down in the marshes. I'm finding it just kind of as that, as the terrain or, you know, as, as it shifts from being true marsh to like that kind of just, I don't know, soft black dirt you know, like just up out of the marsh is where I really find a lot of this stuff. And it was just getting pounded. So I don't know what that was, but you know, if you don't have acorns in your area, be looking out for what specific plants the deer are keying in on. Cause a lot of things are starting to dry up. A lot of things are kind of past their prime, but then there are also a lot of green food sources that are natural browse that are starting to hit their peak right around right now. Like whatever this stuff was that I was, uh, I was finding. So guys, any, uh, any last minute words? Do it again next week. Hopefully, we got something something uh, on the ground or in the in the freezer. So, well, it's going to be up to you guys because I uh, probably probably not getting out now. I do have okay, I do have a spot here in Georgia. If I can get to it, it's two point two miles in on a public piece. Tremendously long walk. I hate I hate walking over two miles. It's just it just hurts. Uh, I have found a white oak that a couple of weeks ago was just loaded and just starting to drop. And it's just off of this big, probably six-year-old cutover or clear cut. It's grown up in pines now, tremendous bedding cover, and there were rubs around this oak tree. So I hung a camera, and I haven't been back in yet. If I can steal an afternoon to get away, that's where I'm going, keying in on those, uh, on those white oaks real close to bedding where I'm finding early buck sign. And for early buck sign, it doesn't have to be much. Like if I find a rub, like a, a fresh rub, I'm probably going to hunt there. Um, if I, if it corresponds with bedding and if it corresponds with food, but anyways, well guys, I, know, Andrew. I heard, I heard him talk about two miles and he was already making excuses at the beginning oh, we might have to find a new person to head up this, uh, how to hunt thing. Because <laughs> We got to get Josh a new one, how to make excuses, man. Get in there, Josh. Dude, Come on. Yeah, no, you guys need to get me an e-bike is what you need. You need to get me an e-bike. <laughs> and if you can do that for me, we'll you be didn't get the right. email? You didn't get the email that everybody in the, uh, in the uh, empire is getting them? Dude, did, for, you, uh, did, you, hear me giving, did you hear me giving Dan crap I'm about that? I'm leaving mine at the farm. That's, that's the empire's farm. That's yeah, why yeah, I'm leaving yeah. mine. Right, in Iowa. Yeah, well, I, I hear... A little birdie told me a friend of ours bought an e-bike and uh, there is not one coming for the rest of us, apparently. Oh, man. Yeah. Just have to keep making more podcasts, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> got, hey, we just got to do what we got to do, man. That, we're back to the slave driver, Dan, right? Like, it all, it all comes back to the slave driver, Dan, who, as we're sitting here cranking out another podcast, he's off gallivanting in Iowa right now, chasing 170-inch deer around. He's just pushing him around. He's not even trying to hunt. He's just he, like, oh, yeah, let that one go. He's just scaring he him. Catch him. He's just scaring him. Come <laughs> deer. Come here. <laughs> oh, goodness. All right, guys, this is about to get off the rails. So, uh, Andrew, you are with the O2 Podcast. You launch every Wednesday. Nick, Huntivore Podcast, every other Monday. Your next episode is coming up, did you say, on the 13th? 17th. 17th. All right. All right, guys, go check out those podcasts. Thanks a lot for tuning into this episode of the How to Hunt Deer podcast. Until next time, get outside and try to get some deer on the ground, man. It's October. Cold fronts are rolling through. Uh, it's not the rut yet, but it's better than sitting at home on the couch. Amen. Absolutely. 
Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. Thanks to all of our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and Deer Lab. If you're looking for some more great whitetail content, head over to thesportsmansempire.com where you'll find my other show, The Wisconsin Sportsman, and the shows of all the other guests from today's episode. 